So uh, Pastor Doug wanted me to tell you uh, he can't wait to be back with us next week. Uh, two weeks ago, he unfortunately had to do uh, a funeral in Florida of Maurice's grandmother. Uh, and then last week we told him, you're not allowed to speak on your 10-year anniversary because we just don't want to sit through that summary you would have given us over those 10 years. And so, um, and then this week he had already planned to be gone. Uh, he's leading a retreat for pastors and missionaries this week in Colorado. So please do be in prayer for him. Uh, but he's really excited to jump back in uh, next week to John chapter 4 and the Worship Transformed series that we began uh, and that we'll, we're actually going to be talking about a similar theme this morning. Um, I really appreciated last week. Uh, I loved getting to celebrate uh, the Rye family. Uh, they truly have been a blessing to this ministry. And Doug and I have worked together for 13 years, but truly, um, I really got to know Doug well uh, on all the senior trips that we've taken together. So uh, my wife is senior sponsor here at the school, and we take a trip to Boston and New York City every year, and the Rice have accompanied us on that trip. And here's the thing. You can't spend a week together chaperoning 40 teenagers 24-7 without, in the busiest country or the busiest city in our country, without getting to know someone, right? And so um, I, I just wanted to share a picture of our of Doug's typical contribution to the trip. <laughs> so uh, I, I do think, in fairness, this is one of the first trips that he went on. Uh, and here's the thing. We get up at 6 in the morning and have to be on the bus many times by 6.30 or 7, and we don't get back to the hotel till sometimes after midnight. And so um, he just beat me to the bus or else that picture would have been of me, right? So um, in all seriousness, uh, my wife plans the whole trip. And Doug and I are really just the muscle to carry all the bags of stuff that our wives purchase on that trip. Um, so why am I talking about senior trip? Well, here's the thing. There's nothing like Times Square in New York City. Uh, it is truly the most unique place I've ever been in the world. Uh, blinding lights mounted on colorful billboards flood the area. It transforms the night into a gaudy circus. It's hard to tell it's even nighttime. It's so bright. Uh, skies, the buildings reach up into the sky. Uh, storefront windows full of electronics and clothing and trinkets and all these other things you can buy 24-7. But even above the all of that, the sheer amount of people that are in Times Square and on Manhattan is just overwhelming. Um, so the island of Manhattan is where we spend most of our time on the trip. Uh, that island has is roughly 23 square miles. Um, on that island, 1.6 million people live there. But another over 2 million people commute in every day so that on a typical day, there's literally 4 million people in a 23 square mile area. That averages 170,000 people per square mile. That's a lot of people. And so, and we've visited, uh, we've, we've been there, been blessed slash cursed to be there sometimes when it's St. Patrick's Day. And there's even more people there. And so truly you get in 
um, you, you have to kind of just bump your way into the traffic and just start going with the flow. And it's literally just a sea of humanity on both sides of the road um, to where you can just be a face in the crowd. It, it really, really is overwhelming at times. Um, and so it's really easy. It's a really easy location to blend into a crowd. Just if I ever commit a crime and become wanted, like that's where I'm going to go, right? To try to blend in. That's, that's where I'm going to hide out at. Um, but even with that, there's a small group of people who work really, really hard to stand out. So when you go to Times Square, what you'll see is you'll see Spider-Man. You'll see a 10-foot-tall Statue of Liberty walking around. You'll see Nemo. Uh, you'll see the Power Rangers. You'll see the Naked Cowboy. Uh, I, I was going to put up a picture of Julie and Marisa with the Naked Cowboy. The problem was there were so many pictures I couldn't weed through which one would be best. Um, and so uh, here's the thing. In a sense, Times Square is kind of a microcosm of the Christian life. It's amazingly easy to blend in with culture around us. But here's the thing. Scripture calls us to not blend in, but to stand out. In essence, Scripture calls us to be the naked cowboy, right? And so some of you, that's the only thing you're going to get from this message today. You're going to turn me off and we'll be done. Um, but, but here's the thing. As believers, we're supposed to stand out. And the only way for us to stand out is by being transformed. And so how do we become transformed? How do we let the Holy Spirit transform us? That's what we're going to look at. Uh, before we jump into our passage, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, before we jump in there, we say a creed about what we believe about this book. And so uh, if you're visiting with us, we don't want to pressure you into doing this with us. Uh, but we uh, we have a tradition here, and I keep waiting for Garrett to get the tradition up on the screen. Uh, we'll just go with it, okay? The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. We did that without notes, guys. Yeah. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look, uh, we're just going to spend time in two verses today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I'm not good with, like, making fancy points that all rhyme with each other or start with the same letter or anything like that. So we're just going to hit some highlights of this passage, um, and we're going to go through it and see what the Lord has to say to us today. The first thing I want to look at is the word therefore. So if you've ever taken a Bible study methods class or read a book about how to study the Bible properly, you've probably heard this phrase, when we see a therefore, we need to ask, what is it there for? 
right? You've, you've probably all heard Pastor Doug say that as well. Uh, Paul is transitioning right here from the theology that he's laid out in the first 11 chapters to the now practical aspects of that theology. And so that's the purpose for the transition. And, and here's the thing. Romans, I know you're not supposed to have like a favorite book of the Bible, just like you're not supposed to have a favorite child. Um, but here's the truth. We know we all do, right? And so um, I, I, Romans is by far my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, there was a theologian that said that Romans is the greatest legal argument ever written by man. That the Apostle Paul did such a tremendous job uh, pointing out, first of all, the universal need for salvation. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the Gentiles have sinned. The Jews have sinned. They've all fallen short of the glory of God. Secondly, he pointed out uh, the provision for salvation. How did God fix that problem? He fixed it by providing a Savior. Because we've all fallen short, he sends a second Adam to fix the problems of the first Adam. And then he talks about the result of salvation, our freedom, the fact that in Christ we have freedom. And he lays it out in such a way, in such meticulous analytical order, that many people view it as one of the greatest works ever written, even people who aren't believers. And so the book of Romans is very, very powerful. The theology of it is so strong, some have wondered why Paul even included a practical section. Why didn't he just stop it right there? Uh, But this this betrays a basic understanding of what theology really is and the significance of theology. Here's the thing. All theology should be practical. And all of our practice should be a reflection of our theology. So so what does that mean? Basically, what it means is this. We shouldn't just tell people what we believe. We should show them. The way that we believe should be reflected in the way we act. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's basically saying, because of all of this, because of these first 11 chapters that we've discussed and laid out and seen the argument, therefore now this is how it should reflect in our life. And so that's what the word therefore is for. Second passage I want to look at, or the second thing I want to point out in this passage is, uh, Paul tells us to be a living sacrifice. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so here's the thing. Almost universally, religion has always been about sacrifice. All throughout history, we see man trying to work their way to God through some form of sacrifice. Uh, so how many of you have heard of the city of Cahokia? Anyone? David, all right. Come give us an explanation, David. Uh, so here's the thing. I, I feel like I'm kind of a history buff, nerd a little bit, and I'd never heard of this city until the last uh, few years ago. The city of Cahokia um, is the largest city, was the largest city in North America before Columbus landed. Uh, the remnants of it are across the river from modern day St. Louis. Okay. Uh, between around 1000 and 1200 AD, 
the population is estimated to be anywhere from 20 to 40,000 people in this city, which would have made it larger than London was during that same time frame. So it, it was very big. And so, uh, Garrett, if you'll go ahead and show the next picture. So this is a, the city was built on mounds. Okay. So the, these mountains. So this is, uh, this is the largest mound, uh, in Cahokia. Uh, it's, um, called Monk's Mound. It's four terraces with a temple on top and it's 10 stories tall. So I don't, you don't always get necessarily the perception there, but, but it's a hundred feet tall, 10 stories tall. Um, that's really amazing that they were able to do that with the technology that they had. Um, the whole city is made of these mounds. Monk's Mound is the largest, uh, but there are over 120 mounds that were in the city. Uh, and we've been able to excavate, uh, quite a bit of them. And on Mound 72, we found 272 remains of humans. And by able to, by studying, um, their bones and by just the uh, processes of archaeology, um, almost all of them were sacrificed. So Cahokia practiced human sacrifice. Once again, it's just a picture of of warped, perverted way in which man knew that we needed to have some type of relationship with God, but we just messed up how to do it, right? All throughout history, there's this universal picture of sacrifice, whether through uh, legitimate faith or through some pagan ritual, we see this idea of sacrifice. Paul tells us, that uh, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The thing is, the beauty of the gospel is that he did for us what we can't do for ourselves. The passage says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't do it on your own power. Don't do it in your own strength. Do it through the mercies of God. Present yourself a living sacrifice. Romans 6.13 it says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So that sounds fantastic, but what does it really mean? How can we actually present ourselves as a living sacrifice? Well, Paul answers that question uh, as we continue the passage. Uh, the next thing that I want us to look at is Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to focus on the conformity. Um, I want to focus on being conformed. Okay. Uh, and, and because Paul gives kind of a uh, either or or a comparison and contrast for our English teachers, you, you enjoy those types of assignments. Compare and contrast, da, 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 da. Paul's giving us a compare and contrast of conformity and transformation. And conformed, when we're conformed, what that means is we are shaped and pressured by things outside of us. Okay? Um, so, once again, I'm a nerd and I admit it, so I love watching the show How It's Made. And one of my favorite uh, episodes, they show um, how cookie cutters are made. With this machine. And so we actually have a little clip of that. Will you guys play that clip for us real quick? 
So what you see here is they're, they're making the cookie cutters just out of a band of metal. They place it around a shape, and then they put outside pressure on that shape, and it conforms, right? It's outside pressure that conforms it to the shape that that outside pressure wanted it to. Paul's telling us here, hey, don't let the things of the world shape you in a way God doesn't want you to be shaped. Don't let the things of the world conform you to a pattern of the world. And here's the thing. Just stop and think for a minute about all the things in our world that shape us, that put pressure on us. Uh, and truly, I, I don't think we quite understand how much the world has changed in such a short amount of time. Uh, on average, today, people spend nine hours a day ingesting or, re- or receiving some type of media, whether it's music, whether it's social media, whether it's television, whether it's pop, whatever it is, on average, people consume over nine hours of media a day. Uh, if you have... Teenagers or young people, you probably know that they consume it multiple times. Like I've walked in and my son is has his headphones on, listening to music, playing a video game while looking at his phone, right? Seriously, like that's, that's we ingest a tremendous amount of social media. Um, do you realize that we've not even had television for a 100 years? The, the first television broadcast was in 1928. The first radio broadcast was in 1920. The way that the world puts pressure on us has so fundamentally changed in the last hundred years. I I don't think we remotely have an understanding of how different it is now than it was. Uh, No better example of the pressures of social media than uh, this, what many of you have probably heard about the uh, latest TikTok challenges that have gone on. So here's the thing. I don't have TikTok. I have Facebook, which is like the lubies of social media. And so, and I'm okay with that. Like, I like my Luan special and then just go on, right? Um, but, you know, some, you know, things bleed into one another. So most of you probably heard that there's these challenges going on where uh, the first one was you were supposed to steal something from the, from a school, right? And so most schools have cameras in most areas, and so the one area where there's not cameras are in the bathrooms. So there were these videos over and over and over again of students tearing, uh, tearing out soap dispensers. Students, uh, literally in some of them, they took down actual urinals and put them in bags and, sn- and left with it. Um, that's the influence that social media has. Okay. Um, one administrator sent me, uh, a text one day and it said, you know, if the next TikTok challenge could be turning your work in on time, that would be great. (laughs) So, you know, we can use this for positive change, right? Uh, but the point I'm trying to make here is we're pressured all the time by these outside influences. We've talked about uh, media. We've talked about music. So music is incredibly powerful. We just spent uh, time worship in here. Um, 
So I, so I'll make a confession. I went to a Guns N' Roses concert about a month ago. I know you can throw stones at me and do whatever. I'm a bad person. Um, but it was a reminder of me, to me, of my childhood, of like junior high, right? I listened to those songs. They, uh, they helped shape me, right? Unfortunately. Um, but they were an influence and I, and I'm, I'm just going to be candid. There was a lot more passion at that concert than there was in here this morning when we were singing, right? And hey, I will be the first to admit I, I struggle and fall in that category as well. But music should be very powerful and it is powerful. It is influential in us. Um, other things that, that, uh, shape us, the things that we spend our time with. Do you realize that, um, young people, will spend over 30,000 hours in their school from from K4 to 12th grade. If they do any type of extracurricular, they're going to spend over 30,000 hours in under the influence of the school or schools they go to. Okay, there's my shameless plug for Christian education. Enroll now, www.tcseagles.org. Right. And here's the thing. And I'm not saying we have perfect kids. Here, here's a secret, okay? Kids are kids. Doesn't matter what school they go to, kids are kids, right? Kids will do dumb things, okay? Because they're kids. Literally, their brains aren't formed all the way yet. We know that. But the way in which we get to teach and preach a biblical worldview, not just in chapel, not just in Bible class, but in math and English and science, the way we get to deal with discipline issues, the way we get to counsel, the way we get to work through that can be influence, which is transformative, not conforming. So it is really important to evaluate where our children are going to spend 30,000 hours at. And not just the outside pressures from social media and from other influences. Here's the thing. We our body learns coping mechanisms as we grow and mature. And those coping mechanisms then put pressure on us from the outside. Here, here's the thing. Um, I'm an emotional eater. Uh, so um, there was a picture. I don't think we actually showed it. Garrett, can you go back and show that picture of uh, my wife and I? I think I actually skipped over that. So here's a picture of my wife and I at Times Square. Um, we take a photo. We try to take a photo there every year. So this was about five years ago, one pandemic and 40 pounds for me ago, <laughs> right? Uh, my wife is still as beautiful as always. Um, but for me, I, I've put on the weight. Part of it is because I'm an emotional leader. Like, oh, no, I've got to write another email about COVID. I really need a milkshake right now. It, it, it's one of those things like um, when I get stressed, I want to eat. Here's the thing. That's a that's a habit that I've learned. That's a conforming pressure that's on me. OK, uh, and Paul tells us, don't be conformed. Don't let um, those patterns, those habits, those defense mechanisms we've learned conform us. Instead, we should be transformed. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word that Paul uses here for transformed is metamorphuo. 
And it's only used one other time in Scripture, and it's used to describe Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration when he's transfigured uh, before uh, Moses and Elijah and uh, Peter, James, and John. In uh, The Greek word is the same Greek word we base metamorphosis on. So like when a caterpillar spins a cocoon and goes through metamorphosis to turn into a, a butterfly or a moth or whatever it is, right? It's changed literally It spins that cocoon and it changes from the inside out. That's the compare and contrast that Paul is trying to make. Don't be shaped by the world. Be transformed from within by the renewing of your mind. So what does that look like? Well, renewing of your mind is uh, another word for it is renovating. So many of you probably have at least watched do-it-yourself um, shows before, right? You, you know, so Chip and Joanna, um, there's dozens of them now. Like literally you can't turn the TV on. You can't walk through our teacher's lounge without seeing someone tearing out some kitchen or putting in some type of new bathroom. Like it's always on a, a renovation show. Uh and here's the thing. Anytime, you know, and they typically always set it up to where, hey, let's go look at house A, B, and C, even though we know you've already purchased, you know, house A and have the plans for it. So you go look at these houses. Um, they pick the right one. And what's the first thing that they always do? What's the first thing that always happens after they pick the house and they, they start the project? They do demolition, right? They, they, they demo it. They, um, they start that process over. So here's the thing. There's going to be times in our life where difficulties are revealed in our life. Times in our life that um, demolition is occurring. What we need to see is uh, those difficulties reveal to us where we're at in this process of transformation. Where we're at in this process of renovation. Renovation and renewal only occurs... By the practice of the spiritual disciplines. And so um, the crux of the matter is this. Here's the point that we're trying to, to get to and, and to really land the plane. In order for us to be transformed, in order for us to stand out, there has to be a change within us from the inside out. And that change only occurs by the power of Christ. And that change only occurs when we actually spend time with him. Okay? And so we call those things the spiritual disciplines when, when we spend time. And, and here's the thing. We've made the spiritual disciplines like a checklist of things we have to do. Hey, I've, I've read, I remember in um, Sunday school, like we got a sucker if we read our verses, if we read 10 verses a day. Um, all week long. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing, making fun of that at all, but I'm saying we tend to do that too many times. We make the spiritual disciplines a checklist. Well, I prayed today, so God's happy with me. Um, I've read my Bible today, so, uh, God can bless me. That's not the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. Here's the thing. If we could do anything, To please God on our own, there wouldn't be the need for the cross, right? 
So there's absolutely nothing we can do on our own to gain our salvation. So there's absolutely nothing we can do on our own to keep our salvation. There's absolutely nothing we can do on our own to grow in our faith. It's all Jesus. But if I'm never spending time with him, then how's he going to do that process? My wife and I have been married 26 years. If after the altar I said, hey, babe, that's great. I'll I'll talk to you three or four times a year. Our relationship wouldn't be that healthy, right? But that's what so many of us do with our relationship with Christ. When we spend time in prayer, it's not to check a box. It's to spend time with our Savior. It's to allow us to, to share our heart with him And part of our prayer should be just a pause and silence and allow him to share with us. The same thing with with scripture reading. It shouldn't be just a checklist. Hey, I've got to read through my Bible, uh, you know, once a year. I've got to do that or else I'm not a good Christian. No. Are you reading it in a way in which you're letting the Holy Spirit speak to you? And point out things to you that need to be challenged. Point out things to you that need to be edified. Like God loves us. He wants to build us up. And one of the ways he can do that is by edifying us through the reading of his word. Do we spend time in meditation? Do we spend time fasting? And so fasting um, is kind of a popular thing today. Like people are doing intermittent fasting for because we found out, guess what? It actually can be good for you physically as well. But that shouldn't be the reason why we do it or the only reason why. Fasting is a very integral part of spiritual discipline. And that those things should be a reminder to us. Every time you get hungry, that should be a reminder to pray, to seek God. And here's the thing. You can fast from other things than food. Um, You can fast from social media. You can fast from uh, multiple different things. Okay, But fasting, once again, is a way to remind us and point us to seek out our Savior. Here's another one. Giving. Giving is a spiritual discipline. So so I'm just going to step on toes for a minute. I don't get paid by the church. And so I can say this. Our giving has struggled this past year. Really struggled. Giving is a spiritual discipline. And and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, My wife handles our finances um, mainly so she can spend money shopping and I not know how much she spends. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we, we support the church. We support our missions program. We support Temple Christian School. We support a few other things. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, while we do that, I don't think we always do it in a way which grows our relationship. We don't pray over the money that we give. That God blesses it. We, we're, it's just another bill sometimes. Now, we still rather you give as it's just another bill. Like, I'm not saying, well, I'm not giving the right attitude. I'm not going to give. No, we still want you to give. Just be intentional when you give it. Pray over it. Pray that God blesses it. Pray that God uses it to further his kingdom. Here's the thing, and, I, and here's what I want you to hear. None of those things that we just talked about are going to earn you any more favor with God than you have right now. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. He can't. 
But if we believe what we say we believe, there's going to be a day where we stand in front of Jesus Christ. Just as real as I'm standing right here in front of you right now, there's going to be a day where we stand in front of Jesus Christ. And is he going to be a stranger to you at that time? Because we haven't spent time with him right now. Or is it going to be like seeing that long lost friend who you called all the time, who you who you uh, sent texts to all the time, who you kept up with all the time, and now you finally get to see them face to face and you run to them and give them a hug? The only way we can have that type of relationship when we see him face to face is if we're practicing those spiritual disciplines right now. Practicing those things is what transforms us by the renewing of our minds. It's what helps us to stand out from the rest of the crowd. My challenge to you today, as the band starts making their way up, is don't be conformed to this world. So I'm a teacher, so I have some real practical things, okay? Number one, identify the outside pressures that you're allowing to shape you right now. What are the things in your life that are trying to conform you to the patterns and images of the world? Secondly, do you need to make any changes based on that list? Do you need to do anything differently? Third, commit to start practicing at least one of the spiritual disciplines every day. There's a lot of easy ways you can do that. Uh, there's literally thousands of reading plans you can choose on Bible apps. I, I would encourage you just start reading the Gospel of John. Clear, clear picture of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's 21 chapters long. Start practicing at least one of the spiritual disciplines daily. Not as a checklist, not as a way to earn favor, but as a way to spend time with your Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, I thank you for the salvation that you've provided in Him. And Lord, I know that Our walk with you is not supposed to stop at the moment of salvation. It's just beginning. God, help us to evaluate our lives. Help us to see the areas where the world is conforming us. And Lord, help us to surrender ourselves in a way that you can transform our minds, that you can transform our thoughts, that you can change us from within. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you so much for your love to us, Lord. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.